There's a deceptively simple framework for stories about the gun violence in Chicago. When a shooting makes the news, you hear about the victim and sometimes you hear about the perpetrator. But often, the closer we look, the more we're aware just how confounding a gun crime can be. That drawing clear lines isn't so easy. WBEZ's Miles Bryan brings us the story of a shooting like that. About an hour and a half before the shooting, Jonathan Ramos got a Facebook message asking for a favor. It was February 1st, 2017, a Wednesday. And that afternoon, Ramos was driving around Chicago working as a food delivery guy. It was a new job for Ramos. He'd just gotten his first paycheck. And he used some of the money to buy some weed. So he's out driving, and he gets this Facebook message. It's from an acquaintance. The guy asks if Ramos can sell his friend a small amount of pot. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm a drug dealer, but at the moment, you know, I was needed, you know, in need for that little bit of cash, and, you know, it actually took place like that. Ramos is 22. He's not a big guy, but his sharp sense of style makes him stand out in a room. He wears thin-framed glasses and a nose ring. Instead of saying cool about something he likes, he says smooth. He was in the car that Wednesday afternoon with his fiance Ashley. She and Ramos have been together since they were 14. They dropped out of high school during their freshman year and have two young daughters. Anyway, Ramos calls the guy who wants to buy the pot and says, sure, I can help out. He and Ashley drive to an alley on Chicago's northwest side to wait for their buyer. He came to the car, we sent him around to my window, and that's when, you know, I I showed him, and he pulled his gun out at me as soon as, you know, as soon as he seen it. The guy points a gun at Ramos, says, give me your money and the drugs. Ramos hands everything over. Then the guy keeps the gun pointed at the van while slowly backing away. Then he turns around and takes off. Ramos told me that he's not a gang member or even much of a drug dealer. He's a father trying to make enough money to get by. He says this wasn't the kind of thing that he ever expected. So right after the robbery, Ramos and Ashley, they call 911. They also decide to drive after the robber. There's a brief chase, but Ramos loses control of the van and they crash into a wall. So they get out and chase the guy through the alley and down the block. The robber fires a shot, but it doesn't hit anyone, and Ramos runs after him into a busy intersection. And I tackled him. I flipped him over, and I started hitting him some more to keep him down. From there, he was, like, struggling, looking at his gun or whatever, struggling to, you know, try to, I guess, to get towards it. You know, I went to grab the gun, and, yeah, I did grab the gun. You know, from there, that was pretty much just about it, you know. What happened next? So from there, actually, what happened was, is, you know, I, I didn't notice actually he was, you know, injured. So at the same time, when he was coming down with the gun in his hand, since it was already loaded, you know, it, you know, exploded from there, went off. Ramos says in the moment, he didn't notice exactly when the gun went off. Ramos and Ashley say they hit the guy repeatedly and then realized he was bleeding. Ramos tosses the guy's gun aside. Then he goes and calls the cops again. The robber had been shot in the neck. He's rushed to the hospital in serious condition. Ramos and Ashley are arrested. The robber that day, his name is Leo. He's 15 years old. We're not going to use his last name to protect his privacy. I wanted to get Leo's perspective on what happened that night. Leo didn't want to talk to me for this story, but his family did. I first met Jose, Leo's father, at the Chicago hospital Leo went to for rehab. Jose was 40 minutes late. He came running in, apologetic, with a Domino's pizza, a chocolate dessert pizza, and a two-liter of Coke. 
All for his son. All right, let me take this one to the room. Jose makes a living doing odd jobs, mostly as a mover. A few hours after his son was shot, doctors told his family that Leo was paralyzed from the chest down and that most likely he will never walk again. When I met with Jose about a month later, Leo was still in terrible pain from nerve damage. Moving his arms at all was extremely difficult. Here's Jose. He was uh, really a happy, happy kid, and uh, he was really playful. And uh, and now, it's totally different. So, Jose says, growing up, Leo was bright and sweet, and still is, even though he's gotten into trouble. Leo's family says that he's a favorite among staff on this floor of the hospital. I can tell Jose is proud of that. I, I cry sometimes because uh, I see my son running, walking, and now it's just a hope, just a hope. Walking is just a hope, Jose said. He said that over and over. You want to move your seat back at all? Um, I'm fine. Okay. Two weeks later, I met with Leo's 21-year-old brother, Josh. Oh, sweet, but... You go by Josh? Yeah, Josh. Josh says he and Leo used to be really close. Well, you know how the younger brothers are. They always look up to their older brothers. So, you know, growing up, he used to listen to the exact same music I listened to. Like what? You know, like alternative rock. I got a hold of a recent Facebook profile picture of Leo's. In the picture, he's sneering, one hand holding his pants up, the other holding a gun. He looks scary. I showed Josh the picture, and he said a lot of it was just an act. Josh says up until about seventh grade, Leo was a good kid. He liked eating chicken wings from the Chinese place on Lawrence and Kedzie and ice skating with his family. But around 13, things changed. I mean, I know why he chose the path he chose, because it was because of my parents. Because, you know, they had problems. You know, my parents split up. We all know that my brother got affected by that. Josh says in the last two years or so, Leo started coming home at 2 or 3 a.m., hanging out with kids and gangs, and getting arrested. He says he and their father went to the Albany Park Police Station a number of times, looking to get Leo into a boot camp or something. But he says the cops were no help. So Leo's family knew he put himself into some bad situations. But Leo getting shot? They say that definitely wasn't his fault. Much of what happened that night is not disputed. Leo arranged to buy some pot from Jonathan Ramos. He brought a gun with the intention of robbing him. He stuck up Ramos at gunpoint and took off. Ramos and Ashley chased him. But here's where the accounts diverge. Josh says his brother tells him that the shot he fired was meant as a warning for Ramos. He chased him, chased my little brother, you know, caught up to him and started beating him up. How does your brother say he got shot? Oh, it's because uh, he dropped the gun. I mean, it just fell. And it just went off? Uh, no, 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 no. It didn't go off. The guy uh, was beating on him, and so was his girlfriend. And as soon as he was done beating on my brother, he picked up the gun, and my brother was on the floor, and he shot at him. This is Leo's version. Ramos got the gun, stood over him, and shot him. Leo's whole family is convinced that Ramos tried to kill Leo, that when Ramos pulled the trigger, he was aiming the gun at Leo's head. He just hit his neck instead. 
From that moment, Leo lying on the ground bleeding, a whole bunch of complicated storylines begin to spin out. Leo landed in a hospital bed for more than two months. The doctors still haven't been able to remove the bullet from near his spine. Jonathan Ramos and his fiancée Ashley spent some time locked up until they got out and hired a lawyer, waiting to find out where the criminal investigation would go. This shooting involves wrongdoing in so many different directions, which means that there's a ton of questions for police and prosecutors to answer. Would Ramos and Ashley be charged for the assault and shooting? Would Leo be charged for the robbery or having a gun? In the end, prosecutors didn't charge Leo with anything. But they did charge Jonathan Ramos and Ashley. She got a misdemeanor battery charge. Ramos, felony discharge of a firearm and distribution of cannabis. Four weeks after the shooting, on a Monday morning around 9, Jonathan Ramos stepped into a Cook County courtroom. That day, he faced decades in prison, and he was scared. Right after the shooting, the Chicago Tribune published an article about Ramos with the headline, Man accused of shooting and paralyzing boy, 15, who tried to rob him. Chicago police say shot and critically wounded a teenager. WBEZ covered it at the time. Police say 22-year-old Jonathan Ramos chased, beat, and shot a 15-year-old boy in the Albany Park neighborhood this month. Ramos's lawyer was preparing for trial. But in court that morning, something really unexpected happened. Within minutes, it was over. The county prosecutor dropped all charges. Ten minutes after he arrived, Ramos walked out of court, a free man. Later, a spokesperson for the prosecutor's office cited insufficient evidence as the reason for dropping the case, but wouldn't say any more. Leo's family was devastated. Here's his dad, Jose. I don't know exactly what happened because I'd never been in a court for the case. The only time... They called me, was to tell me that the case is over and the, the case was dismissed. But I uh, want to say one thing that I really believe in God and I know whoever did that, someday he's, he's going to see things from God, not from me. Oh, I'm very excited that it was all dropped. This isn't the person I am. I met up with Ashley and Jonathan Ramos soon after all charges against them were dismissed. They seem like two people eager to move on. Now that, you know, I was given a second chance, you know, of, you know, my freedom, you know, it just makes me, you know, want to work and, you know, stay safe at home, you know, not have to go through no situation like this again, you know. Besides what Ramos and Leo's family told me, throughout all of this, I knew there was another account of the shooting, a source that recorded what happened that night. Security camera footage collected by police from the scene. Ramos says he saw a little bit of this tape on the night of the shooting, and it proves that he didn't pull the trigger. Leo's family had never seen it. One of the things about how gun violence is often reported on is that it simplifies who's to blame. There's a shooter and a victim. In Leo and Ramos's case, they both did things that were wrong, and they were both victims. And when something this bad happens, we don't want it to be that complicated. We want to know whose fault it is. When I heard about this video, I hoped it might clear up some of this messiness. I asked the Chicago Police Department for the footage, and they denied my request. A few weeks later, I tried the state's attorney, and surprisingly, they gave it right up. 
Check one, two. How's the, the levels? I watched the video with my editor, Kate. Are you ready? I am. The videos have no sound, but put together, they're pretty comprehensive. We're looking down onto a parking lot. Oh, yep. here comes a car. You see a minivan turn from an alley into a parking lot. It stops for a few minutes. How long is this? Oh, here comes somebody. Then a figure wearing a hoodie and a baseball hat walks up. It's Leo, and he looks a lot bigger than I thought he would. But he's leaning down into the window. He walks around the front of the van and leans towards the driver's side window, where our view is blocked. Oh, my gosh. Then he backs away, pointing a gun at the vehicle. He's got a gun. He's He's got got a gun, gun. and he's running. He's running away. A second later, the van takes off after him, and they're no longer on camera. Wow. The, The robbery itself was less than 30 seconds. I mean, that's exactly what they told me happened. A little bit later, we see Leo running back down the alley in the other direction. He turns around and they're running oh, and after then, him. And then both of them are running after him. Leo runs out into a busy intersection. It's like it's a blurry look to... at an intersection. Ramos is catching up. Oh, my God. Suddenly, he leaps towards Leo and gets him in a football tackle that smashes Leo into the curb. Boom! Oh, you oh, see the tackle. Crack. Ramos starts punching Leo in the face over and see over. Punching and him. punching him. Punching him. He's quickly joined by Ashley, who starts hitting him, too. This is brutal. I have to say, I've heard about what happened many times, but seeing it, it's really brutal to watch. Ramos reaches over and grabs the gun. Boy. He's standing over Leo. Oh, my God. Then Ramos walks away. Is that police coming? That's police, the blue and whites. Within a minute or two, the cops are there. The footage is really graphic, but it's also really grainy. It's blurry. It's very blurry. It's completely impossible to make out when or how the gun goes off. Wow. (sighs) In the weeks since the shooting, both sides have been trying to figure all this out. They've repeated their stories of what happened over and over again to me. But neither side saw what I just watched. So I wanted to put the footage in front of them. Leo's dad, Jose, and his brother, Josh, met me in the parking lot of a Dunkin' Donuts. We sat in my car. They didn't want me to record while we watched, but I turned on my tape recorder right after. How do you feel? Yeah, I feel like shit. That's how I feel, by seeing the police and, and the laws can do nothing by watching the video when everything is clear. I just can't believe it. What did you see in the video? I just see what my, my, my son told me that what happened. He, he just told me the truth, and the truth is in the video, and tried to kill him. Everything is clear right there. I just think it's really, really unfair. Leo's older brother, Josh that they're not charging that guy with attempted murder because clearly he we see him picking up the gun I mean it's blurry but we see him reaching for something which is which is obviously the gun but you don't see a flash I mean did you see a flash I've watched it a couple times and I just felt like it was too blurry to see a flash at all alright so how come they cannot do nothing if they we never see the flash alright we never see the flash but we we see we know my son gets shot from that moment. So just common sense. So he, he didn't lie. He never lied. Can you possibly put a quarter now? I don't know. I'd rather talk about that without the recorder now. 
Ramos and Ashley also sat in my car to watch the videos. So what did we just see? Um, we actually just saw the video of the situation that happened. Do you feel like proven right, proven wrong, proven in the middle? I actually feel proven right. The camera clearly shows that, you know, I had nothing, you know, nothing to hide and nothing to run for. You know, how it all happened wasn't, you know, right. It was actually a sad, you know, situation. How do you feel seeing this? Honestly, it, it's really heartbreaking, terrifying, and yeah, I really won't even want to see that again, actually. Yeah. Does it make you feel any different than you expected to have to see that again? Yeah, it actually makes me feel like how the first day, how it all happened, you know. It brings me back to that whole situation. The feeling is, you know, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Right. Before, when I've talked to Ramos about what happened that night, he's told a story where he isn't a bad guy. He's a victim in the wrong place at the wrong time, roped into tangling with an armed gangbanger who had brought the risk of being shot upon himself. Now he sounds different. Ramos is looking at Leo, and Leo looks small and broken. Leo's family obviously can't just put all this behind them. They deal with Leo's paralysis every day. And when they watch the footage, it becomes evidence for their story, in which Ramos is a drug dealer who attacked and tried to kill their son and brother. That outweighs the fact that Leo brought a gun with him to commit a robbery, or that you can't see the gun go off. Both sides have tried to fit this shooting into that simple model where there's a shooter and a victim. And what I've seen is them struggling to make reality fit that model. But it just doesn't. This shooting took place on February 1st of this year. By that point in the year, almost 300 other people had been shot in the city of Chicago. Today, more than three months later, about 1,000 people have been shot in the city. By the end of 2017, it could be thousands more. This story is from WBEZ's Miles Bryan with production by Colin McNulty. 